Thank you for tuning in to Cobblestone Community Church today. We hope this message blesses you. If you need prayer for anything, please email us at prayer at cobblestonechurch.com. Now here's the message. Uh, one is Isaiah 6, and I would love it if you flipped open a real physical Bible there. Isaiah 6 is when the prophet Isaiah encounters God, gets his commission, is told what to do. But it actually holds for us some similar things I hope we say to God by the end of the day. I'm quite passionate about God-centered because over the years in church movements, you can see how people have made church about them. And when they do that, it's not wrong or evil. I think God loves you. I think he wants me to minister to you. I think he wants the gospel to so transform your life, you're different from coming in. But if you don't make the God, God the center of this, we'll make one of us, maybe me, the center of this, and that will never hold the weight of our souls. So when I think God-centered, I think like God-focused. What's God doing right now? Is he doing anything right now? Is he here? What does he want? What does he like? What does he dislike? See, when you get into this idea of being God-centered, I want to zoom in on are we God-aware? Are we lovers of God? Which is actually our vision statement that we are lovers of God. And lovers are attentive to each other, are they not? We, we, they write letters to each other. They want to be around each other. They talk to each other all the time. We, that's kind of the basis of my heart for being a God-centered church. Everything we do emanates from a place of, what do you want? And even if it sounds crazy, we'll go do it. We want you to go plant a church. We want you to go give $2.something million to do that thing. We want you to go, what would we do? What, how would we know? God-centered kind of starts to answer a lot of those questions. So in the book of Isaiah, you have Isaiah the prophet, and he has a vision of the Lord. He sees God, and then God asks a question, and he responds. And I'm going to guess, anybody ever read this part of script? You know the story. In the year the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on the throne. Is that ringing any bells? Now what happens is, since we've heard it before, We'll make it normal. We'll kind of write it off. What I want God to do is come. I can't do it. Like, I don't physically have the skills as a man. I want the Spirit of God to come in, and I want him to burn something into us. Because if God's worthy of everything, and I know that I'm an extreme man, like I'm all or nothing. If God's worth everything, I want to give him everything. I don't want to be the church that at the end of our days we go, man, I wish we would have given him more. I don't want to do that. So can you pray with me that we would have ears to hear? Like ears to hear what God is saying through his word. And so, Father, we just, we stop what we're doing. I actually just want to kneel before you. This is a brand new year. Which really doesn't mean anything to you. You're eternal, holy, and beautiful. So we, we just bow our church. We bow our families. We bow our individual lives before you, the Almighty. And Father, I ask in Jesus' name that you would give us ears to hear you. That we would hear you today. We wouldn't just hear the word, but we would go then do it. We would live it. Give us a picture of you that would mark us and give us like, give us a commission like Isaiah today. I thank you for every person in this room. You love them. You love them. You love them. And I pray the love of God would be made manifest, tangible in this place. Holy Spirit, come. 
soften, convict, and teach. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen? Amen? Sorry, I put a question mark on it. And I was, anyway. So what's, what's the center of our galaxy? You all are like real nervous. If you went to Talawanda, you're like, I don't know. Uh, Saturn? Uh, Uranus? <laughs> like what's in the middle of the galaxy? Thank you. Right. So you know that right there in the middle, even of God's design, there's something in the middle. So I went to Walmart and I went to go buy one of those solar system things so I could make this point. They were like 20 bucks. And I was like, no, because I had to paint it too. So this, guess what this represents? The sun. It's, is it two in your eye? There you go. That is the sun. And we understand that in our galaxy, like Earth and Neptune and all the planets, they, they revolve around the sun. What happens if the sun's not in the middle? What if the sun gets closer? What if anything else is in the center? It all goes to kaput, right? And so you almost on a global, universal, like universe scale, have God going, okay, dummies, this is how things are supposed to work. I'm supposed to be in the center. But what really, this is the picture that is, has been resonating with me all week. Before I knew Jesus, I was the center of my life. Everything revolved around me. My wants, my desires, my motives, my vision, my value, all that I had. So everything was just me, me, me. And then I met Jesus. And my life and my motives and all that I am began to revolve around the sun. S-O-N, not S-U-N. And I even made, so like, here, if you want, here's a planet going around the sun. It's just a paper plate, all right? So what happens, though, is we are often presented with a God or a Jesus that's like, hey, do you want to have a personal relationship with Jesus? All you have to do is say yes. And then what happens is Jesus just becomes another thing that rotates around you. But that's not how this whole thing's working right now. There is a king. There is a center, there is a source, there is a life, there is a man on a throne in heaven, and my life revolving around him will require me, and I even wrote words, I take my motives and I let those go around King Jesus. I let my needs, so we're going to talk about fasting today. I need food to live, do you? But I'm going to set that aside for about the next 21 days so that all, even my need for food, I'm going, Jesus, I want you more than I want that. You could do a blank. My wants, they, all of it, all of me, that is the true gospel. There's the lordship of Jesus. I want all of me to be God-centered. So if he calls on me to take my family to a dangerous country where they kill Christians, you know what my answer will be? Yes. Not giddy like, oh, I can't wait to go into hardship. But yes, Lord, you're worth it. And so what we need, if we're going to answer as a church, and that's the thing, we have to answer as a church, we want to be God-centered. Because a couple of us can do it. I think a lot of us are doing this. But the heart cry of 2022 and the thing the Holy Spirit put on almost all the elders was, let's be God-centered. Let's be stupidly God-centered. Let's be, if he asks us to do it, we will. And so in Isaiah 6, verse 1, we're going to go to about verse 3. We're going to stop a couple times. I just want to see you, I want us to see the prophet encountering God. I want you to encounter God. If you have a small 
puny Jesus and a small, puny God, you'll have a small, puny faith. And if he's that small, why give him everything? But if he's this big, give him everything. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet. And with two he flew, and one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And we'll stop right there. Now, in the year that King Uzziah died, I can tell you that King Uzziah was king for 52 years. And so there's this little unrest of like, we've had a lot of prosperity, we've had a lot of stability, now our king is gone. What are we going to do? Almost like Americans when presidents change. And then the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. And where was the Lord? Sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple with glory. The whole earth is full of his glory. And what Isaiah is doing is going, he's kind of calibrating like, Uzziah is dead, but who cares? The earth is going crazy, but who cares? And then you get into, I think most of us think that when we die, we're going to put on a diaper, grow some wings, and start plucking a harp. I think we're going to be wildly disturbed when we get to heaven because there's going to be a lot of things going on, some of which are these like, winged creatures that apparently just like fly around God and every time they see him, the only appropriate response is, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And then the other one, it's like a call and response thing going in here. That's not even the eyeball creatures, all right? And then there's elders and then you're like, is this, what's going on? Well, if you read the book of Revelation, this is still going on. So Isaiah saw what John saw in Revelation. Right now, God is being proclaimed holy and worthy and above all, and his glory is filling the earth. It's big. It's bigger than a service. It's bigger than a life. It's bigger than a little. Like if I put a scale human in front of this light, I can't even do it. There it is. Like so much of a speck. And this God came to us and said, I'm going to save you, and I'm going to adopt you, and I'm going to baptize you in my love, and then I'm going to send you. That's bigger than the more normal, mundane, little faith that we live in. And I, I just want to awaken us that the God of heaven and earth is the one on the throne. That when you came in today, we didn't start singing some songs, we joined one. We joined a song that has been going on since before time, that holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. That's the song that we sing. That's the starting point of Isaiah's commissioning, his calling, his going, and it's the starting point for you, your calling, your commissioning, and your going. And don't make it too big. Some of you, you will never go across the countries or the nations. Some of you will go to Brookville, Indiana, and you will glorify God there. And that will be the sovereign God's plan, to pour out his love on people that don't know it through you. Some of you, you will be stay-at-home moms, bookkeepers, and construction workers. And the glory of God resides in you, and he wants to pour it out wherever you go. That's a good job description. Sure is better than bricklaying. Sorry, bricklayers. So no matter where I go, if my life revolves around his, it has infinitely more meaning, purpose, and glory. But if I just take Jesus and I go, let me fit you in to the cosmos that is Andrew, I make him little, 
I actually like kind of poop on him a little bit and make him way smaller and way, I, I, I actually sin against God. And what you'll see is he's going to notice this. And when I say he, Isaiah's going to notice who he's standing in front of. Verse 4. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth, and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Now, most of us, we've read this enough. That's why I was like, have you heard this story? And you make little, in your mind at least, or you don't, you don't fully grasp the weight of what just happened. God just said, through an angel or a seraphim, your guilt is taken away, your sin is atoned for, and you are clean. But when Isaiah first came in, what was his response? Woe is me, I'm going to die. I sum that up, paraphrase Andrew, okay? This is the response to God and who he is. If we saw him now, half of us would want to run out the door, the other half would fall down, and three of us would pee our pants. Like, God is like scarily, awesomely different than us, which is the weight of what we've been invited into. It's not small. It's not just worth a drop of my life. It's worth every bit of it. And so as we get into this thing, have you ever read the Bible and been like, man, it feels like that's a lot. Like, you are really aggressive there, God. Like, you ever read the Old Testament and you're like, really? For eating an apple or a fruit? Think about it. Like, Sodom and Gomorrah was a dot on the planet, and then it got nuked and was gone. Because of why? Because of their sinless, sinful behavior, because of their sexual depravity. And you're like, is that really match, God? Why couldn't you just, like, warn them? Stop it, Sodom and Gomorrah. Why? Go past that story. Uh, Lot leaves with his wife, and she's told one thing. Don't look back while I destroy the city. And what does she do, Bible school kids? Looks back and turns into pillar of salt. Don't. Whatever. We'll go salt. So for a glance, just a glance, dead. Does that fit? Does that scare you? Does that make sense to you? Because I think some of you right now, you're feeling the woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. I, I come from a people with unclean lips. And I have seen God and I'm scared of him a little bit. But this is the scandalous nature of the grace that you have been receiving. It's scandalous. It amazes me. Adam and Eve are in a garden and God gives them one thing. Don't eat that fruit. They eat a piece of fruit, y'all. A bite of a piece of fruit. And from that point on, all of humanity, you and me and everybody you ever known and everybody you will know, has now been affected by sin, which means the way that they view life is not God in the middle, but them in the middle. And then God comes in and he goes, I'm going to lavish my love on you. I'm going to pour out grace on you. In fact, I'm not going to punish you at all. I'm going to punish my son. What? So he pours out all that wrath. So there's no more pillars of salt and cities get nuked and any condemnation. I'm now righteous in the Son of God. 
And now I know the love of God. I, I have encountered the love of God. I actually like to say I've been, ba- like I've been dunked in it. There's nothing for you anymore except the love of God. That's us. That's where we are. And the only appropriate response to that kind of love and that kind of sacrifice is, I think I'll fit you in on Sunday. Cannot be, right? And so as I read, oh, it may, I feel it burning right now. I'm like, so then I want to say he's worth everything and I want to say I'm a God-centered man, but am I? But am I? And if you're in here and you're going, woe is me, he's talking to me, I have unclean lips, I don't feel clean, you need to come to Jesus and he will clean you. He will save your soul and make you from death spiritually to alive spiritually. Then everything's different. Then what he wants you to do is have your life rotate around him, not you. You've done a pretty horrible job so far. That was kind of mean. I apologize. So think about it. Think about the worst court cases you've heard about in recent history. I'll give you a couple. I just can't do it because a lot of kids in the room. So a guy just murders a whole ton of people, right? A guy does a bunch of really horrible stuff to kids. And he comes before a judge, and the judge looks at all these men and goes, pardon, forgiven, loved, adopted. How quickly are we removing that human judge? How quickly are we storming a courtroom and going, this is a travesty. Justice is not being upheld. This is what the cross of Jesus is. It is the God of heaven and earth, the one who is on the throne, whose glory fills the whole earth going, pardon, forgiven, cleansed, adopted, mine, loved. And it is scandalous. It makes no sense. It should, it should make us just like, he loves me. He loves me. He's for me. He saved me. I'll give him anything. He saved me but it's become normal, and I don't want it to be normal. I want it to be light. Like Isaiah, probably in that moment, is like, you're going to do what with that coal there, seraphim? You know what I mean? Like, and then he's like, I can stand before God now. You can stand before God now, and he sees righteousness, and he sees the goodness of the Son, and he's like, get in here, Son. That should amaze us till the day that we see him face to face. And then a peculiar thing's happened. So after this scandalous grace, which you and I have partaken in, God asked him a question, and you all know this question, and once again, I think I've heard this sermon weaponized against people like you. So when he's going to ask him, who shall I send? Send me. I've heard a missionary guy basically like just guilt shame a whole room with this verse. I think you can be called in many different places. Your answer to God just doesn't have to be yes. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And then I said, here I am, send me. Now, you can make all kinds of commentary on that, but what I love is he didn't ask any questions. There was no like, well, where are we going? What's the, uh, what's the assignment? Can I get a 2.5 kid, white picket fence house and do that? There was just a full send, no ifs, ands, or buts. I have seen the king of glory, I'll go. That's God-centered. That's understanding who God is, what he's about, what's around his throne, what he's worth, and then in light of who he is, I'll go anywhere and I'll do anything. 
is that your answer? And I can't make it your answer, and I actually don't even want to guilt you into the answer. I just want to tell you that the center of the universe is not you. There is a king in heaven. There is a very real thing that happened on the cross 2,000 years ago, and that man rose from the dead, and he was very much alive. Jesus Christ lives today, and he's worth bowing my knee and my life to. And if I die, it'll be worth it. If I give all my things away, but I get him, I get life. Now, that's a hard teaching. I, I can't weave that into you because there's a counter message you hear every day. There's a counter message that American culture preaches. It's God and. But the message of the martyrs, the message of Hebrews, the message of all scripture is, look at what Jesus says to his, come and follow me. What do they all say? They drop their nets and they follow him. They don't know where they're going. Most of the time he's like, they're like, where are we going? He's like, come and see. Ooh, cryptic, Jesus, thank you, right? You have all these moments where Jesus even asks them, who do people say that I they say, I am, do you want to leave me too? And they go, where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. When the rich young man comes to him and has this little debate with Jesus, the end of that conversation is, okay, you understand the law, but you lack one thing. Go sell everything you have. Give it to the poor and come follow me. Now, I don't think he was being sarcastic. I think he was challenging something in the man. That Jesus isn't asking to be one of the things floating around your life. He's asking to be the middle of it. You bend to him, not the other way around. And if we're going to be a church that does that, we'll need to learn what his voice sounds like, how to obey him even when it hurts, how to even actually ask hard questions of each other and hold each other accountable. Are we being God-centered? And you're like, well, what would that even look like? Well, I'm glad that you asked. Go to Acts 13. Go to verse 1, 2, 3. Acts 13. There's several moments in the book of Acts which I want to live them, but Acts 13, I would love to live as well. And in, what's remarkable to me is these are people that have been commissioned by Jesus to do very real things on the earth. These are apostles and prophets and teachers. They have gathered, and I want you to notice what they're doing when they gather and then what happens when they make God the center of it. Acts 13, verse 1. Now there were in the church at Antioch Prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, Mannion, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Now that makes, I think, a bigger moment much more compact, but do you see what's going on there? You just break down scripture. There, there was a church at Antioch. So you have a gathering of believers in the city of Antioch, and you have two people that are named that are there, or positions that are there. You have prophets and you have teachers. So right off the top, the book of Acts lets us know there are men and women there that can hear the Holy Spirit's voice, knows what God's saying. They are prophets. And then it also says there's not just prophets there, there's teachers. I claimed that title before. There's people there that can explain to you the gospel and the truth of God and can refute false teaching. They have both of those things there. And what are they doing with their time? Because the prophet guy ain't prophesying and the teacher guy ain't teaching. What are they doing? While they were worshiping the Lord 
and fasting. Hmm. So it seems that they were putting God in the center of it and really leaning into this idea, he's on the throne, we are so thankful and so worthy of him, he's so worthy, and they're fasting, which we're going to talk about and do here in the next 20-something days. They're giving away earthly things so that they can focus on heavenly things. And then what happened? The most peculiar thing, we don't talk like this, and if I started talking like this, you'd get nervous. The Holy Spirit said. Now picture, we had a little worship in the beginning of this service. Let's picture we're all worshiping God and fasting. How would we know? How would we know the moment that the Holy Spirit said, that guy, that girl, send them? How would we know? And I'm not saying, that's not this sermon, you have to be God-centered to be even having, to be even being tuned into that. God has to be the thing you want to hear from. You want to hear him more than you want to hear me. You want God in the midst of the people more than you want a good song. You want God. And I think that they did, and then God shows up and he goes, this is the mission that these men have. And then they finish worshiping and praying. Then they lay hands on them and they're like, scoot, crazy. If I said God called you right now to go somewhere, we're going to lay hands on you. Have fun. Half of you would be like, God, what? Mm. No. They, you see this behavior all through the book of Acts. You see it all over. Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to prayer, and the breaking of the bread. The fellowship. They were always getting together, and every time they get together... Uh, Peter and John are thrown in prison and what do the believers do in Acts 4? They get in a room and they pray and they worship. So when Peter shows up having escaped prison and knocks on the door, the girl that's there says, it's not him, it can't be, and runs back in. But once they get in and they explain, you know what they do? They praise God and they cry out that God would fill them with boldness that they could get thrown into prison, not be afraid of any punishment, and then most of them go to their deaths, torture, persecution. And we think when someone doesn't like us because we're a Christian in the office that we got it hard. And so I, I want to be a God-centered church. I think the elders believe the Lord is leading us to be a God-centered church. And that will, that will kind of manifest in, I, I think, a few ways. But as I've talked this idea out, I, I've had to sit with each guy and be like, all right, Dave Bear, what does is, what is worship look like in a God-centered context? If we were to come in here and God was the center of this thing, what would it look like? And I think it could be a lot of things, but I don't have time to do a two-hour seminar on worship. But what he said was, what, Andrew, I think it, some weeks it'd be like I felt like the Lord told us to sing one song and that would be what we would have to do. And then some weeks the Lord might say, let's sing, let's worship the whole 60 minutes. Anybody excited? See, some of you are like, so I got somebody in the back like, yeah. See, there's the thing, though. If you want to be God-centered, you can't be you-centered. And what just happened is I said, well, let's sing one song. And some of you were like, get to the good stuff. Right? And then I said, others, let's sing 60 minutes of worship. And you were like, I hate this church. Right? So if you put God in the center... I'm not saying nobody will be happy, but I guarantee you it's not going to be about you at all. 
And that's just in worship, but then you take it into prayer, you take it into mission, you take it into what we teach, you take it into efforts that we do, and you go, but God in the middle of this, and a people that, and a people, and I don't mean a person, but a people, a church going, we'll, we'll, we'll go around you. If you want it, you get it, Lord. If you want 60 minutes of singing, we will give it. If you want us prostrate on the ground, okay, they'll think we're weird, but I've been weird before. What is God worth? What's he worth? Or to ask it in a different way, because that's really challenging. Do you think God knows how to run your business better than you? Do you think God knows how to do marriage better than you? You're like, I don't know. Has he ever been married? Or her? Uh, I, think, I think he knows what he's doing. You know what I mean? Does God, can we trust God on every level of our life? And if the answer in any part of you is like, yes, let's do that this year. And here's what I know. I started with this. I know that I'm in process. And there's moments every year where I'm like, God, I wish I would have given you more. I wish I would. You called me there, and I was such a chicken. Or I was so afraid. I like comfort just as much as y'all. I really do. It's okay. We're human. But God is calling for a people who will go, God, we'll choose you over comfort. And we'll let you form our motives and our vision and our value, everything we are. And so if you're like, well, I'm a note taker. Can you tell me? Well, I got four words for you if you're a note taker, okay? Did this just for you. When I think about being God-centered as an individual, as a person, I think of a source. So that was the first word. I think that God is the source of my life, both physically and spiritually. So you, the Bible says, were knitted together by God in your mother's womb. God spoke and then there was. God is the creator of all things. He is the creator God that was and is and always will be. He's the alpha and the omega. He's before everything. Culture wants to tear that truth down and they're trying. We declare by the way that we live and who we are, we belong to him. He made me. Now that's not just physical, that's a spiritual reality. You didn't have spiritual life until Jesus gave it to you. You were dead he made you alive. You were sinful, now you're righteous. You were empty, but now you're full. This is the, re- is, now could you declare with your life and by the way you live that God is the source of my life? Just living that out will rub with the world's worldview. They'll tell you, you came from a, like a single cell organism that slimed on a beach. You know, I, God made me. You'll, they'll tell you that you're somehow related to a rat or a monkey or something, and you'll go, no, I know who I'm related to, and God made him too. See that? Just acknowledging the source of my life will make you, you'll have to decide, I'm going to go around God, or I'm just going to add him as one of the things around me. Then you look at the motive of the Christian life. A Christ-centered or God-centered life actually has a, you have a person as the, as the motive of your heart. Did you know that? Jesus is a real-life person. I know him. I want to please him. He's my best friend. How did I say that like that? I don't know. But what I mean is it's, I'm not, my motivation of my Christian walk is not how well can I keep the rules. It's not how well can I keep some historic tradition. It's how well can I please my King Jesus. What does he want? What's he like? What will make him smile? And I know that language, we don't talk about Jesus like that because we like Jesus real far away. 
Jesus is really close to his people. In fact, promises to never leave them or forsake them. In fact, he's in me by his spirit. So is Jesus your source? Is he your goal or motive? And that's actually the third thing, is he your goal? So the heralding mark of the true church. Now, there are many places called churches in America. Lots of steeples that I want. If you drive through Richmond, there's like 17 churches in a two-mile strip. Lots of churches. I don't think all of them are actually true godly places. The mark of a godly church is they go, you get the glory. Glory to God. And that's been heralded from the day Jesus rose from the dead. Does he get glory? That's where we're going. Does he like it? That's where we're going. Jesus gets the glory. Now, it's not wrong, and I I have to always say this because I feel like guys come up to me afterward and like, I feel so bad for making money for my family or doing this or even focusing on anything earthly. When I woke up this morning, you know what I woke up to? Three big piles of dog on my carpet. My dog, my wife loves that dog, but I almost murdered an animal this morning. So, So right in the middle of mundane, going to work, nine to five, loving the wife, doing dog duty, uh, I know the friction. I know the world calls me down, and it wants me. I think Satan wants us to live down here. But God's going, I'm up here on the throne. What are you looking at? And do you want me to imbue all those moments, all those poop cleaning, sick kids, nine to five, making some money moments? Do you want me to attach them to something greater? You can use all those things to the glory of God. You can. You can. Is it a process? Absolutely. Now, I tried to start praising God while I was cleaning that dog poop. Didn't quite make it, guys. Pray for it. Uh, but there's this, this goal of my life is, if I'm making a lot of money, God, how can I glorify you with this money? If I'm making a little bit of money, God, how can I glorify you with this money? If he gives me four kids or no kids, how can I glorify you with these, this thing? If he gives me whatever, glory to you. There is, once again, a point to the universe, and you're not it. You can either bend now and go, God, I bend to you. I'll do what you want. You're worth it. Or one day you really will, and that ain't a threat. I promise. That sounded like a threat. Just how the scripture paints the picture. And then finally, Jesus is our hope. God is my hope. I've said this before, me and Anna, we've talked about this a lot lately in the last two weeks. We've put all our eggs in that basket. Everything, all my hope, all my life, I don't have a backup plan. There is no plan B. It's God. And if he doesn't come through, and he has never not, he will come through, and he is returning one day. He's my hope. And so when we talk about being God-centered, can you look at those four things, the source, the motive, the goal, and the hope? Do you see those things towards the God that you say that you know? Are you centered around him? And so this is how how we'll end. When I look at my life, I can look at some weeks, I just really like to eat food. Anybody going to give me an amen? Right. So I've already said it, but you can give your life to good food. Like here, I'll give you permission. Give your life to good food, good wine, good drink, and just go go for it. So you're spending $6,000 on cheese. Sure. 
couple grand on a nice bottle of wine, and you eat all the nicest food of the earth, there will be a point where you'll go, is that it? There will. You give everything you have to the Lord, and there's never a ceiling. The goodness of God goes on forever. I have never gotten to a point where I went, I was always like, wow, wow, wow. And so as we look at today, like what I'm asking you to do right now is to ponder a question. Will you set aside earthly things to focus on heavenly I want to call us as a church to a fast, which is not a thing that I grew up doing. Um, and it's scary for some, but the idea is this. And I'll tell you what I'm doing and a couple others are doing, not by name, but what I'm doing, I'm not going to eat food for the next 21 days. And I'm only going to drink water. Maybe that means I just lost my reward, but whatever. I'm not going to do that, not so I'm trying to twist God's arm so he'll give me something. And I'm not trying to do that just so I can punish myself, so I can be like, bad Andrew. No, I'm doing that, so I'm purposely putting aside something. I, I need food to live. And I'm going, God, you're what I want to want. I want to know you. I want to meditate upon your word. I want to be with you more than I want to eat. You are the bread of life. Now, some of you, you should not do that. And I have to say this because I feel like it's always the young guy that's like, I'm not going to eat for 40 days. And then they almost die. And then they're like, I'm going to sue you. I'm like, screw you. I told you not to. You. Um, some of you should eat, eat one less meal and spend that time with the Lord. Some of you, just go, go breakfast and lunch. You could do it. Eat a good dinner. Some of you, it should be like, don't eat sweets. Some of us aren't eating meat. Some of us are giving up uh, nightly snacks. Some of us are giving up coffee. Some of us are like, social media should be your thing. Don't look at social media for 21 days. Not my TikTok. Yes, your TikTok. Um, and you're like, and, and look at it in the scheme of things. What you're saying is, why would I give up TikTok? Is God worth it? Yes. Yes. And fasting over the years, is, it's been abused, and sometimes it's just dumb, but our hope is that you will pray. Can you do that with me? Will you pray? Ask God what to fast. Or at all. If, you're, if you come back and you go, I don't feel like God led me to fast, you know what? You're not less of a Christian. You really aren't. I want to give freedom to this house. I'm doing it, and the leadership are fasting for the next 21 days because we just, I just felt led like that's what we were supposed to do. You're supposed to say, God, we'll give up all earthly things if we get you. Can you pray that with me, though? And if you say, yes, I'm going to fast food, we actually have a guide out on the tables in the atrium. You need to read that because if you're going to fast food for a long time, there's a way to start it, and there's a way to end it so you don't hurt your body, all right? But I'll let you know this. You can survive that long on just water. I think I'll be here in 21 days. As a church, can our answer to God be, yes, Lord, send us. We'll do it. But that's going to require each of you to answer that question individually. And then when we gather, we all kind of like look to the side and we're going, we're here for God. And that will require the next time David Bear gets up and says... Andrew, and he whispers in my ear, I feel like God wants us to sing this many psalms. You know what I'm going to tell him? I will say yes.
thank you for your word, Father. It's true. You are the one on the throne, and your glory fills the whole earth. And it was for the joy set before him that our Savior died and freed us from sin. And that that love of God, I pray it would wash over the people right now. We have been made sons and daughters, filled with the very spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. We are no longer slaves, but free. And so, Lord, my answer is you, have, you can have all things. Have it all, Lord. Take it all. You are worthy of all things. And so in this quiet moment, Father, I ask that by your spirit, would you reveal anything that has control of our life that you don't want? And so, Father, would you just whisper to your kids what you want them to fast? Lord, I ask in the name of Jesus for an increasing hunger in this place, a desire to give all things, to give every drop of my life to the King who gave me his. I pray for a revelation right now, Lord, of your beauty, of your throne, of your majesty that would mark us forever. That as a church, we declare we want you in the center. Come take the throne of not just our hearts, but this church. And in these next 21 days, Father, I pray for your glory to fall on your kids. I ask for them to encounter you. I ask in those quiet moments, maybe in the middle of not eating a meal and they sit before you, that you would speak to them, that you would encounter them, that they would fall in love with you, that you would free them in a million ways. I thank you that you are worth giving up food or never watching a Netflix show for again. You are truly beautiful. You have been good to us and entirely faithful. And so we honor you here this morning. And I love that I'm not, we don't have to make you do anything. You came after us. So we respond right now, God. Your word was preached and we respond to that. Your voice, it goes out and we respond to you reminded in your word where it says today if you hear his voice don't harden your hearts so if you feel the Lord calling you if you're in here and you don't know Jesus don't harden your hearts open it to the Lord invite him to save you and confess your sins to him and he will save so we're going to respond in song and I would encourage you to not worry about the people or how many songs or what you like but truly, if you need to, and picture what Isaiah pictured, the Lord on the throne and his, his robe fills the temple with glory and he's worthy and there's creatures singing holy and we're joining that song right now, Father. Let's worship Jesus. Thank you for joining us today. If you need prayer for anything, you can email us at prayer at cobblestonechurch.com or you can go on our website at www.cobblestonechurch.com and submit it there. We'd love to pray for you. Have a great week and God bless.